this is Lindsay Jones, NFL reporter from The Athletic, and we are here with our week one NFL Power Rankings podcast. I'm Amy Perlopiano, co-host to Lindsay, and we're excited to be back. Last week, we did um, we went through our preseason rankings, and today we published our official week one rankings because tomorrow the season is starting. There aren't that many huge changes to at least the top and the bottom, but there are some significant changes elsewhere. And the first thing we have to talk about is the major news that went down today. Lindsay, Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott, Zeke Elliott, as some call him, has uh, been re-signed to the Cowboys on an extension. How are you feeling about the Cowboys' chances now that they have finally secured their star running back? Well, I feel pretty good about putting them number six in my personal rankings and our file Um they came in at number 11, which I was a little surprised that they were that low because I think we had a couple other teams that ended up um, as a panel pulling out of the top 10 because of things that happened in the preseason, whether that was the Indianapolis Colts who lost Andrew Luck or the Los Angeles Chargers who you know lost several key players to injuries over the course of the summer. So, um, And Melvin Gordon, who is still not back. So I was a little surprised that um, I had the Cowboys significantly higher than everybody else. But you could kind of just feel this building. And even though these negotiations were very public and very nasty um, to the point that they were just kind of trading shots at each other in the media, and that's really not how these negotiations go down. Generally, the successful holdouts um, kind of happen behind the scenes and not in the media, but that's really not Jerry Jones's style. And it's clearly not Ezekiel Elliott's style either. But ultimately, he's not going to miss any games it was really fun on Wednesday to kind of watch um, or on Tuesday, excuse me, to kind of watch the the progress of Ezekiel Elliott returning from Cabo. There's, you know, cell phone video of him on an airplane. And then there were news crews meeting him at Dallas Fort Worth um, airport. And so then at that point, you just knew that it was going to get done. And now we can all just move forward and focus on the Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper contract negotiations. Right. And the those negotiations, they were pretty heated. And I thought there was a funny line from John Machetta's piece uh, in The Athletic today writing on the deal. He said, large sums of money have a way of bringing people together. And that's what happened here. It's six-year, $90 million extension. $50 million of that is guaranteed. That beats Todd Gurley's extension from last year. It makes Zeke the highest paid running back in NFL history. He's now signed through the 2026 season. And I think it's a good deal for both sides. I think they both got what they wanted here. You know, I think obviously the Cowboys know how special – uh, Elliot is, and they know how he is central to their success. That's been proven over over the last couple of years that they win when he when he rushes for over 100 yards. Basically, that's been proven to be the case. And he led the league with 381 touches last year. And you know they had Demarco Murray in 2014, and they didn't pay him. So they clearly know that Elliot is is the real deal, and they want to keep him, and they know how central he is to their success. Um, yeah, and I, in general, I would say I don't love these type of running back deals. I don't love the Todd Gurley deal a year removed. I don't love the David Johnson deal, which was, you know, obviously below these two guys. But, you know, these are the deals that keep kind of resetting the running back market. But if you are the Rams and you've built your offense the way that you have, you have to re- reward Todd Gurley in some fashion. And if you're the Cowboys, you have built your entire offense around one, your offensive line. And they also paid a lot of money for Lyle Collins, the right tackle um, earlier this week. So they keep investing and this is who they are. And I think we can argue about how much money running backs deserve, what their financial value is. And I think there's a lot of valid arguments there. But if you're the Cowboys, you have to pay Ezekiel Elliott. And that's why this whole, when we look back over these negotiations, 
it was so silly that the Jones brother or the Joneses, um, Jerry Jones and his son, Stephen, were saying things like, you know, we don't want to set the market and we expect our players to take less to play here. Um, those sorts of things, because that's fine if you don't build your running, your, your offense around one specific running back, but you've done that for Ezekiel Elliott. So ultimately they did set the market and now it's going to be interesting now that they've had one market setting deal, what that's going to mean for Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott. Right. And the Cowboys lost six games last year. And in all but one of those losses, Ezekiel Elliott did not have a touchdown. Uh, he, you know, he, in, they were three and five last year heading into week 10. They won seven out of eight to finish the season and win the NFC East. Uh, and his all purpose yards during those final six wins that he started in at the end of the season, he had 186, 201, 143, 135, 192, and 109. And he had touchdowns in all but two of those games. Their success is contingent upon Elliott. And it was clear that they were going to have to recognize that. And now they have. They're not a team that's going to be setting points records like the Chiefs and, and the Rams were last year. They're, they can win with their defense. You know, we saw that 13-10 to 10 Saints game last year that they ended up winning. And the playoff game against the Rams, which they lost, was another game in which Elliott didn't have more than 100 rushing yards. Uh, and, you know, they, they win when he is rushing well and that's clearly why they've put these investments into their offensive line to keep them as protected as possible and I think that this we knew it was going to get done but now that it is done I they're true contenders for the east I think everybody's really high on the eagles but the cowboys are are legit as well so speaking of current news in the NFL we had another major thing go down this weekend that impacts the Houston Texans, who are clearly all in on trying to win the AFC South now that Andrew Luck has retired. Lindsay, what do you think of the deal that went down with the trade of Jadavian Clowney, as well as the monster haul that they gave up to get Laramie Tunzel and add him to their offensive line? Yeah, so there's a couple things at play here with what's been going on with the Texans um, this entire uh, preseason, really. I mean, we have to look back that this is the third trade that Bill O'Brien has made. Uh, since he became kind of their de facto general manager. You could feel the this coming to a head with Jadavian Clowney that he was going to get traded, but this wasn't the simple type of, not that any trades are simple, but the type of trade that we saw this spring where um, the Seahawks traded Frank Clark after he was on the franchise tag and the Chiefs traded D Ford when he was on the fran franchise tag. Um, because of the deadline had passed, you could trade Jadavian Clowney but he would have to sign his tender to do so. Um, and that gave him a little bit of power to kind of determine where he was going to go. And that took away a lot of the Texans leverage because if Jadavian Clowney wasn't going to go there because he hadn't signed the tender, then you had to kind of take what you could get at that point. And it sounds like they had a better offer that they could have gotten more for him um, with in a trade with the Dolphins or somewhere else. And instead they ended up trading with the Seahawks, which was a place that uh, Clowney was willing to play. And they really got fleeced in that deal. You know, they didn't have to, they didn't get a lot back in return. They got two defensive players who are going to be contributors You know, Jacob Martin, the linebacker and uh, Barkevius Mingo, who's a former first round pick, you know, just a guy and a pass rusher. I mean, these are guys who are going to contribute to the Texans defense, but when you looked at that specific trade, the Texans didn't really get better. And on the Seahawks side, they're getting an elite defensive lineman at below, well below market value. Um, it's on a it's a short term deal right now. You know, ideally, best case scenario for the Seahawks is that he plays great. He has 15 sacks. Um, he's you know plays all 16 games, doesn't get hurt, helps this defense kind of return to prominence. They 
win the NFC West and then they re-sign him and they give him $100 million next year. Worst case scenario is he has five sacks, he misses eight games with some sort of injury, and then you let him go next year. You It was a very minimal financial investment. So, but, but from the Texan side, I mean, he, he Bill O'Brien has just been wheeling and dealing. And I loved the gift that, uh, that Amy, you picked for our power rankings this week because it's a guy going cheering and saying, I'm all in. And it really, he seems like a guy who's kind of drunk with this uh, personnel power. And it's just one of these lessons that not everybody is meant to be a general manager. And look, maybe these deals will work out. But you see guys that come out of the Bill Belichick tree and they all want to do exactly what Bill Belichick does. And Belichick is just a coaching unicorn where he can handle both of these things. He does a lot of stuff on the personnel side, obviously. And he doesn't really let his assistants into that side. And we've seen the, his disciples who come out of there try to handle the personnel side. And almost always they fail at doing it. They don't have... They don't see how Bill interacts with players behind the scenes. They don't know how Bill deals with agents, how Bill deals with other general managers. And it's this this is why you have a general manager. And this is not it's not a great look for the Texans right now. Um, look, we we see what Bill O'Brien wanted to do. He knew that he needed to get rid of Jadavian Clowney. He knew that they needed help on the offensive line. But at what cost? Well, and it's just two completely different. They, they really got nothing back of, of, of significance for Clowney and they gave up so, so much to get Tunzel. And look, Deshaun Watson was sacked a league guy 62 times last year. He was hit 133 times. The most quarterback, that's the most sacks a quarterback has taken since John Kidna in 2006. Remember he took that 12-hour bus ride to Jacksonville because they recommended that he not take air travel because he had a partially collapsed young lung. He had a partially collapsed lung as well as rib injuries. He's 23 years old, the face of that franchise, and he he was getting destroyed last year. So Bill O'Brien, obviously, as we said, we're not quite sure what he's gonna what he's doing if this is all gonna work. And and in the AFC South now, you know, I. I'd probably still take my chances on a team led by Chris Ballard and Frank Reich than I would one led by Bill O'Brien going solo. So, wow. you know, we'll see how this all works out. Well, that'll be a spoiler alert for our uh, season predictions post that I think should be going up on The Athletic uh, on uh, today's Today, Wednesday. It's going to be going yeah. up on Wednesday. And I had a really hard time picking that division. And I think I had a hard time picking that division before Andrew Luck retired. Um, ultimately, I did pick the Texans. But I think it's going to be one of those really weird divisions where there could be a game where the, the you know where the Jags beat the Texans and then the Texans lose to the Titans and then the Titans beat the Colts and it's just going to be this very weird division that's going to come down to, you know, a potentially win in your end game in Week 17 just like it did last year. It's the only I believe this is correct. I think I wrote this in when I was tallying through. It's the only division in our season predictions that had votes for all four teams to win. Uh, the division. The Titans only had two, but they still had votes. So I don't think any other division had votes for all four teams. So it's wide open. You know, we'll see how it goes. And I think the Texans see that opening. And this is what they're trying to do is realize that now's our chance to really to really go for it. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not totally convinced these moves were exactly the right ones. But. Top five, bottom five. And that leads us right into our bottom five of our power rankings for week one. Uh, number 32, the Miami Dolphins. Number 31, the Arizona Cardinals. Number 30, Cincinnati Bengals. Number 29, the New York Giants. And number 28, the Detroit Lions. 
And there's not a new team there at the bottom. It is still the Miami Dolphins, the same team that was at the bottom of our uh, of our power rankings in the preseason. But I think the thing is that we are even more solidified in our belief that they belong there at the bottom after what's happened in the last week. Amy, what do you think the message is that's coming out of Miami after they, you know, traded away Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills last week? Well, you know, they're essentially saying we're not going to compete this year. And they're they're saying we're a rebuild team. We're we're going to jump headfirst into rebuild mode. And that's what they're showing their players by trading away their an elite offensive lineman and uh, Stills as well, they're not going to be able to compete at all. And if I could rank them, you know, 33, I would have. They look last year, everyone labeled quarterback Josh Rosen a bust in Arizona, right? Despite the fact that he was playing on a crappy team behind one of the league's worst offensive lines. Now he's in Miami, where he'll be playing on another crappy team behind now a really inexperienced and bad offensive line that just lost its lost its best player. So the Dolphins offensive line has 88 total starts in the NFL on a combined 30 as members of the Dolphins and two of their projected starters have never played an NFL snap. You know, compare that with a team that's good, like the Eagles, whose starting offensive line is a combined 378 starts as members of the Eagles. And it's just it's so clear how far, far behind they are. And the Dolphins head coach, offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator have a combined zero years of full time coordinator experience. So they're not built to win like Josh Rosen's not in a position to succeed. And that's the message they're sending to everybody is we we don't really have anybody in place here to put us in a position where we're going to be able to compete and make any of these players better. And I feel bad that Rosen is such in such a bad situation because he's not going to be able to grow as a quarterback in that environment in any capacity. So. Yeah, it's just going to be a lost year for Josh Rosen. Um, you know, I think if you're truly in rebuild mode, then you probably should have just played Josh Rosen. Although, as we mentioned a little bit on the podcast last week, is that that's a really hard sell in the locker room. And clearly the other guy has been better. But every other move you've made is that you are not taking winning into account. Because if you were, then you wouldn't trade Laramie Tunsil for a host or for a bunch of draft picks for next year. And you wouldn't trade Kenny Stills, who's one of your most productive wide receivers, while he's in the middle of kind of a dispute with the ownership over, you know, ethical things about racism and uh, politics and protests. And so it's it's very fishy that 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 happened all at the same time. And I did not mean to make a fishy pun with the Miami Dolphins, but I just think it's some weird <laughs> mixed messaging that you, you know, you trade away Laramie Tunsil and you make Ryan Fitzpatrick your starting quarterback in the same week. And uh, they're a team that I just I don't see them rising out of that uh, that bottom spot at any point this season. I mean, maybe it'll happen. No. probably win a game that they shouldn't have because that's what Ryan Fitzpatrick yeah. does. And that's the problem is that he's going to have a five touchdown game sometime because that's just what he does. And that means that right. he'll, he'll, they'll have, he'll have this crazy game where he throws for 500 yards and five touchdowns and they're going to beat the Titans or they're going to beat the Bills. And you're going to get a couple of these wins that take you out of position for that number one overall pick. And then you're having to do some more trade histrionics or whatever, gymnastics to get that number one pick next year to get the quarterback that you actually want when it's not Ryan Fitzpatrick or Josh Rosen. And uh, I need to break back out those free Josh Rosen shirts that were going around before the draft when they were trying to get out of Arizona. Because, man, he's starting to have one of the most interesting and frustrating quarterback careers that I've ever seen. It's really – I feel just really awful for him because – 
tons of rookie quarterbacks over their careers have really struggled, particularly when they're on bad teams. The Cardinals were really bad last year. And as a result, yeah, Josh Rosen didn't do very well in the, in the starts that he had last year, but I certainly didn't think he was a complete lost cause. You know, I think he, he's certainly allowed to struggle a little bit and hopefully finds himself in a position where he has the leadership in place. When you draft someone as high as the Cardinals did draft him, you would think that they would bring in people who would work with him and make him better and hope that he improves in the way that what's happened with many rookie quarterbacks over time. I don't think he's going to be great, but I certainly don't think he's He's the worst quarterback. And so, you know, well, I and now he's in a position where he's not going to get that leadership either. So it's not he's not in a good place. And his career is really could really get on the drain very, very quickly because he's been in two really, really bad positions. So that should lead us back into the reverse of this. We'll go into our top five, which actually did not change the top five teams from last week. There was a little bit of reshuffling from the preseason, but our our top five teams were in pretty good agreement across our panel of who those teams are. So we'll kick it off with number five, the Philadelphia Eagles, who were also number five in the preseason. Number four, the Los Angeles Rams. Number three, the New Orleans Saints. Number two, the Kansas City Chiefs. And number one, the New England Patriots stay there because they won the Super Bowl last year. And uh, until somebody dethrones the champs, they're going to stay number one, even though I don't think they have the best roster and I don't think they're the best team right now, but they've earned that by winning the Super Bowl last year. So it's interesting that the top five teams stayed the same. There was not um, there was nothing really that happened in the preseason that swayed our panel into moving any one particular team um, up into that top five and pulling one of those top five teams out. Um, Amy, how do you feel about those top five? I think it's right. I, I mean, we talked about this last week. I don't have any problem with any of these four teams. I think the Rams moved up or moved down one spot. They're four. They were three. Yeah, that, they, you know. the, the Rams and the Saints swapped. Right. And I just think that was people getting closer to the season and just changing their mind in one spot. But I don't, you know, that's all kind of the same to me there in these top five. The Eagles, I will say I'm, I'm pretty excited to watch the Eagles. I think a lot of people are judging by, again, I'm going to spoil a little bit of our prediction files, but I do know from going through those, tallying those up, we, we tallied from almost uh, over 40 people, actually. And Eagles kind of ran away with the NFC East. People are really excited. They got a, quite a few votes for uh, NFL champions as well, NFC champions, I should say, um, as well. So I think people are really excited about them. And they've got a ton of weapons. You know, if Carson Wentz can stay healthy, they'll be an elite offensive unit. Uh, they got you know, Deshaun back as well as a weapon to complement Alshon Jeffrey. And and Zach Ertz is an elite tight end. You know, he trailed only Michael Thomas in catches last year. Um, and he's caught at least 74 passes in four straight seasons. So, you know, they have a loaded roster. And I think people are really excited to see what Carson Wentz can do and see if he can kind of pick up where he left off. And we'll see if, if he can. I always... I always kind of proceed a little bit with caution in situations like this with, with stars coming off or players in general coming off of such major injuries. But I am excited to see how he does. I'm excited to see their offense. And and now with the Cowboys in that same division, I think it'll be it'll be really fun to watch kind of that battle for the NFC East because I think both teams are potential for 10, 11 win seasons or, or more. Risers and falls. Is there one team that we're particularly interested in watching this week, Amy, that you think could move into that top five with a big week one? Uh, yeah, I am very high on the Seahawks right now. I, you know, the Clowney trade, I think, addressed one of their biggest issues. 
And they're just an incredibly balanced team. They have an excellent GM who scored the kind of deal of the century with the clowny trade after a pretty successful offseason otherwise, you know. I was actually expecting the Seahawks to soar up these rankings, and I, I was surprised that they still only landed. Where did they land? Outside of the top 10, right? They're number th- they are number 13. They only moved up one spot from our I was pretty rankings. surprised. I actually had them really high. I think I had them at six. I, I, I'm really bullish on the Seahawks right now. You know, I'm excited to see DK Metcalf, who I know he had minor knee surgery, but looks like he should be ready to play week one. You know, they're just, they continue to do what they've been doing all along, right? Which is they just kind of discover and elevate this talent that no one else seems to have noticed. You know, Puna Ford was a ridiculous find as an undrafted free agent last year. He has the potential to evolve into a real star as a run stuffer. And then, you know, between Ford and then Chris Carson, their seventh round pick. Uh, and John Schneider just has this innate ability to build a team without, you know, having to spend exorbitant amounts of money. And he showed that again this offseason. They had 11 draft picks in 2019. Nine of those picks made their final roster. Their other two picks are on the pub list. So yeah, I'm excited to see what they can do. And obviously, Russell Wilson, we'll see if he can kind of continue his Superman, superhero antics and, and see how he does. And he's always really exciting to watch. And uh, their offensive line is going to be a question mark, obviously. Uh, my guy, Patty's out for a while. And Brian Schottenheimer loves the run game. And so that's going to be a little bit tougher with the you don't say. offensive line. Uh, so, you know, obviously, offensive line needs to be established in order to have a successful run game. So, but, you know, they have Rashad Penny and Carson as well, that they should be able to deliver there. So I'm just really excited to watch them. They're really dynamic. They're really balanced. And and I do think because they are in a division where the Rams, like I ranked the Rams three, I think. I think I had them at three. I think they're going to be great again. I really do. But if they slip up a little bit, a couple of times, they go through a bit of a, a rough spell. I think the Seahawks can be right on their tail to, to win that division potentially. I don't think they will right now. I still think the Rams will. But, you know, if they, if they struggle a little bit there, the Seahawks, they also have to, they also get the pleasure of playing the Cardinals uh, twice a year. So I think that, and they have, uh, they play the Bengals at home. Oh, week wow. one, And oh my God, what's the, uh, that's a very favorable matchup for the Seahawks the line um, on that game. If you're in a survivor pool, <laughs> yeah, don't, uh, don't necessarily take my advice on a survivor pool, but if. If you were in a survivor pool, that's one that I would feel pretty confident about taking. Um, it's 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 hard for anybody to go into Seattle and play and uh, the, a Bengals team that is kind of really not in good shape right now uh, going to Seattle week one is that's a little rough. So, yeah, I mean, I think they have a chance to make a really big statement week one. And I'm looking forward to seeing if they can get up into that top 10. I think going from 13 to five might be. Might be a, a big jump in our rankings next week, but I don't think they'll. Yeah, probably not in 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 one week, yeah. but I think in a couple of weeks they could be there for and, sure. And I think know, by a, a couple three. of our voters uh, clearly aren't quite as sold on them as you are yet. So we've got to do some convincing on a couple of our guys have, that have are to listen to this podcast and convince them. Yes, <laughs> uh, the Chargers were at ten. I actually we talked about this a little bit last time. I thought that was interesting. Their preseason ranking was seven. I said last week I think I was going to have them kind of on the edge of my top 10. It seemed like some people dropped them out pretty low, and so they've moved to number 10. How do you feel about that? I feel like that's okay because, I mean, it, it's as we touched on a lot last week, the Derwin James injury is very major, and Melvin Gordon is still holding out. I think he's the one who's not going to get what he wants out of this holdout this summer. 
Um, but I still think that they have a really good roster um, other places. And I think Philip Rivers is going to keep them in a lot of games. So I, I think that feels about right. It's going to be interesting. They play the Colts at home this week, and we don't really know what the Colts are. They were our other, like, kind of our big faller this week, if we want to get into which teams were rising and falling. The Colts, for understandable reasons, you know, they dropped significantly in our in our uh, week one power rankings. They ended up at 18. and they All the way from number six. Six. Yeah. Yeah. That's um I had them at 16. You had them at 15, right? Yeah, which actually I I I was surprised at how low I had them as I was kind of going through and moving teams up and down. I just felt like that was about right. And yeah, obviously a couple of our other panelists, our voters had them a little bit lower than that. And so I think that's going to be a really interesting game, kind of uh kind of a low key sometimes those afternoon West Coast games played out there in the soccer stadium. It might not get as many eyeballs on them, but we're going to learn a lot about the Colts and a lot about this, about the Chargers as well as we as they try to figure out what they look like without some of their most recognizable players. Yeah, I think were there any other huge risers or fallers either way? I think these things these rankings stayed pretty consistent. I guess the 49ers dropped a little bit, I think, because like as we talked about last week, Jimmy G, uh, not such a strong preseason showing. So I think some people are a little trying to cool it on the hype train a little bit there. Yeah, I mean the Colts were the the team that really fell. There wasn't anybody else who was significant who set, who fell significantly. Um, what was interesting about the Colts falling in the poll was that our our panelists were pretty divided. Um, the highest that anybody had them ranked was number fourteen. There was one voter had them as low as number twenty, oh, wow. which I thought was pretty far. So that's why they ended up there at number eighteen. Um, we did have two teams that rose kind of significantly. It was a tie of moving four spots. It was the Baltimore Ravens who moved up from 13 to nine and the Minnesota Vikings moved up from number 12 to number eight. And I think what was kind of interesting, I went back and looked at all of our voting here and Amy, you and I were um, not in agreement on either of those teams. And, uh, you know, I had, you know, we were, we were just, we're not in very much agreement. I think you had the Vikings um, a lot higher than I did while I had the Ravens higher than you did. So why do you think we disagree so much about these teams? Is it just, does it say something about kind of where the Ravens and Vikings are at that there is kind of this big discrepancy going on? I mean, I think it just says something about their divisions and how good and strong those divisions are. I think I'm pretty high on the Steelers uh, and they, the Steelers, where did they end up? Number seven this week? Six. I believe they're six. Six? Oh, wow. They're six. So yeah, I mean, both of those divisions are pretty loaded with talented teams and I think we just you know there might be the teams that we think are gonna I think the Vikings are are in really good shape to succeed this year with the kind of new OC they have in place and I think they'll I think Cousins is going to have a strong year I I'm not quite as high on the Bears I still ranked them where did I end up ranking them I had them Oh, no, maybe I am high on the Bears. I actually think I had the Bears and the Vikings tied because I couldn't decide between the two of them. Although I have been a little bit the kicking stuff that's been going on this offseason. I just feel like it's going to end up kind of still exploding in the Bears' faces at the end. So I guess because of that, I would give my edge to the to the Vikings in that division. But I just think it's 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 two packed divisions, and I, I could see a variety of different outcomes in, in both of them. I wouldn't really be surprised – I wouldn't be that surprised if the Bears won the division. I wouldn't be that surprised if the Packers even won that division. 
And, you know, in the AFC, wouldn't be surprised if the Steelers won. Wouldn't be that surprised if the Ravens won. And, you know, the Browns have a shot this year. So it'll be really interesting to see how those divisions unfold. Yeah, the other team that jumped a bunch, like I mentioned, was the Ravens, who jumped four spots. And I'm very interested to watch them this week. I think they're one of the most intriguing storylines in the NFL this year and what they're going to be doing offensively with Lamar Jackson and what their completely revamped defense is going to look like with Earl Thomas as their leader. Um, Their pass rush has completely changed, and obviously the back end with Earl Thomas. So I'm very curious to watch them. They they go to Miami. They play at the Dolphins. So that's a game where they're going to be a road favorite in week one, and we're going to get a lot more into the matchups that we're most excited to watch um, on our next pod that's going to be released later this week, um, our bonus edition. But I'm... You know, I don't think that's going to be a super competitive game, but I'm just very excited to actually watch the evolution of the Ravens. And I think that's why that I had them a little bit higher than some of our other panelists, because I just think that they're going to do some really interesting and exciting things offensively. I don't know if it's going to work, but I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, I'm really excited to see Jackson this year specifically, and we'll see how it goes. I'm definitely intrigued to watch them. They're, they're, I agree that they're kind of on my list of teams I want to tune in for each week and see how they do. So... All right, I think we've covered uh, all the kind of normal segments. Lindsay, are you ready to transition into Power Up, Power Down? Yes, let's do it. Power Up, Power Down. All right, you lead us off. Are you powering up or are you powering down? All right, I'm going to power up for player empowerment. And um, so just this offseason, we've seen Antonio Brown force force his way out of Pittsburgh by getting a trade to the Oakland Raiders. We saw Odell Beckham get himself out of a situation, even though he had been paid very recently. He got himself out of a situation that he didn't like by getting traded to the Cleveland Browns, which is a situation where he's a lot more happy and thinks they can win. And he's playing with his best friend. And then we've seen Jadavian Clowney force a trade and not only just force a trade, but get to a location that he wanted to go. He made sure he didn't get traded to the Miami Dolphins. He ended up in Seattle. Um, And we saw Ezekiel Elliott while he ended up, he did not change teams. He ended up getting what he wanted, which was the biggest running back uh, contract in the history of the NFL. And this is something that is a really positive development for the future of the league. Owners aren't going to like this because they love that they can control players for as long as they can through things like the franchise tag and the fifth year option. It's so rare that players are able to actually hit the free market and to decide where they want to go. But when you compare the NFL and the NBA now, where the NBA has one of the most exciting free agent periods where players are really have a lot of freedom of movement, they're able to decide where they want to go. And it has become one of the most exciting and fun things in professional sports. Their free agents period right now is almost as exciting as their playoffs. So the NFL is now getting a little bit of this because players are taking that control of their own careers and deciding, I'm going to I'm going to assert whatever leverage that I have, whether that's a holdout um, like Ezekiel Elliott did or Jadavion Clowney did and not signing your franchise tender and kind of making the team kind of do what you want. That just never happens in the NFL. And this is going to be a really interesting dynamic as we head into the CBA negotiations where players are taking a little bit more control. And I like to see this happening. And I know owners aren't going to like it. I know fans don't always like it because they want their guys to stay on their teams and just kind of be quiet and play. I'm the opposite. I want guys to feel empowered and do what's best for them in their careers and get themselves into the best situation. So I am uh, I am on board with player empowerment, and that is my power up for this week. Your power up is going to be a lot more eloquent than mine is because mine is just going to read some tweets from actually Lindsay recommended. So my power up segment is Jacoby Brissett, who just signed a, a two year deal with the Colts for I believe it was 20 million guaranteed. 
Um, so good for him. Congratulations, Jacoby. And last week, Lindsay told us that we should follow Jacoby Brissett on Twitter because he's really weird and wacky there. And I, it was just, I read through it today and it was a true joy to read through Jacoby Brissett's tweets. So I'm just going to finish off with three tweets from Jacoby Brissett, new starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. This is, it's really going to make you think, guys. So the first tweet from July 17th is Jacoby Brissett tweets. So, um, What's on the other side of a black hole? And then the one after that is lightning never strikes in the same place twice. How does lightning know where it has stuck? Who created the phrase? And then the third one is man who coined the saying a dog's mouth is cleaner than a human's. How did they come up with this information? Jacoby Brissett is asking the questions that really matter. And his Twitter is really fun. And I'm excited to see how he does against the Chargers this week. Uh, should be a really great game as we talked about earlier so good job with your tweeting jacoby well now we can our, we'll build on that that um our beat writer zach Kiefer, who covers the Colts, he tweeted yesterday that uh on tuesday that jacoby Brissett was wearing a fire festival t-shirt for his weekly press conference oh so <laughs> i would like new to favorite player yes i'd I like to him. add his fashion and his pop culture <laughs> references uh in addition it's to his Twitter account. In addition to his just really important questions about the world uh, that he ponders on his Twitter account. So give Jacoby Brissett a follow. Super fun to, to read through his tweets. And uh, that concludes our this week's episode. I'm really excited for football. It starts tomorrow night. So yeah. we will talk to you next episode. And I would say stay tuned. We're going to have our bonus pod later in the week where we're going to be ranking some other really exciting, fun part of the NFL season. So you can catch that on the Athletic app. I hope you subscribe. You can get 40% off. And uh, you can get all of our podcasts on the Athletic app. All right. We will see you guys next week. I'm Amy Perlapiano. And I'm Lindsay Jones. See you after week one. Bye.